Welcome to this evening's Bible study. The Word of God says, Can a mother forget her baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And that gives us assurance and that gives us confidence. And that keeps us going. I would request Pastor Crane to lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. We thank you for giving us together to study your word together. We pray that you would anoint Pastor, fill him with wisdom. As he teaches, Lord, your word, our understanding will be enlightened. Father, that uh, we will, Lord, understand you better, know you better personally in our hearts, O oh God. Our characters will be transformed. Our lives will be transformed. It will be built in you and bear fruit for your glory. Bless this time together for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. We saw that in the introduction itself, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. We are studying about the satanic trinity, the dragon and the two beasts uh, from Revelation chapter 12, 1 to 14, 20. I want all of us to keep this one thing in mind. When John wrote this book, uh, he didn't write it as a mystery or a puzzle that will be resolved by 21st century people. And I'm sure we all will accept this fact. Because when John was writing a letter to the churches that are undergoing persecution, he is not writing, he is not interested in writing a puzzle or mystery that, we, that people in the 21st century will resolve it. Once we are very clear about this, we'll be able to interpret this book in a very balanced way. Uh, so whatever symbols John is writing in his book, uh, the people of his time or the readers of his time, they were aware, they were aware. They didn't need an explanation. Dragon means what? Beast means what? So they didn't need that kind of explanation the way we need that explanation. So once we put this in the perspective that John's readers, they knew the dragon, they knew the beast, uh, we will be able to figure out how this word applies to us. Uh, this, is, this is the word of God. It applied to the first century readers, and it also applies to the 21st century readers. You know, if God, uh, if the second coming doesn't happen soon, this applies even to the 31st century readers. Uh, Bible is relevant for all generations. That's, that's why we should be very careful as to how we interpret these things. Otherwise, we'll go wrong. Once we try to figure out, once we understand how the John's readers understood the symbols in the first century, it's not going to be a challenge for us to understand what the Word of God means to us today in the 21st century. So as I told you, John's readers had no problem in identifying the dragon and the beast. We, we just finished chapter 12. We saw the dragon was pursuing the woman. The woman was caught up. And now when we saw the last verse, now the, woman, the dragon is very furious. And now he wants to attack the woman's other offspring. The Bible clearly says he in, initially he was interested in devouring the child and when he failed, when he could not devour that child, now he wants to uh, 
devour, to kill, attack the offspring, the other offspring of the woman. So uh, if you remember, I said the offspring, uh, in all probability, it, it represents the church. In fact, it represents the righteous remnant of both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, it is no longer, it's only a Jewish community. It represents both Jews and Gentile followers of Jesus. All those who accept Jesus as their Lord, uh, it represents them. So we, we had already clarified the dragon represents devil because John has already identified the dragon that fell long ago. And we went to Genesis chapter 3 to say that dragon symbolizes the Satan. So the, now the devil is making war against the believers. Now in chapter 13, the chapter 13 precisely says how this war is taking place, how Satan is attacking believers. I hope up to this, uh, it's very clear because only if it's clear, we'll be able to understand the meaning of the other symbols. Satan has no originality. God is a creator God. He has originality. And if you see everything right from the beginning, uh, Satan can only copy what God has created. He can only create a counterfeit. Till date, he has not produced anything original. He will tinker with the original things. You take the institution of marriage or uh, salvation, idols, all he's tinkering with all these things. So Satan has no originality. So he is going to reproduce what God has created or something, some kind of a resemblance to show that uh, you know, it is something original. So we are talking about a satanic trinity. Satan knew the Trinitarian God. And now Satan is trying to create or to show a counterfeit trinity in this place. Now, the first thing that comes out is a frightful beast. It's quite fearful. You know, it's quite frightening even to read the description of that beast. And this will come out of the sea and the dragon will give its power and authority to that beast. Uh, this beast uh, symbolizes the Roman Empire, which in John's day was the embodiment of Antichrist, a world power in opposition to the reign of Christ. In a, this empire was against the believers. If you go and read the church history, you will realize the extent of persecution uh, and the number of people who have died just because they happen to be believers. So this beast symbolizes the Roman Empire. Now, as we go down this chapter, in the verse 6, it says, the beast opened its mouth to blaspheme God. See, there is a fight, the fight between dragon and the beast, that is the satanic trinity and the trinitarian God. There is a fight that is going on. So the first thing, he's slandering the name of God and he's slandering his believer, the believers. Uh, if, you, if you read the Roman history, uh, beginning with Julius Caesar, uh, Roman emperors had been deified. But initially, they were deified. In other words, they were considered as God. Initially, they were considered as God after the death of the emperors. And that's how it began, the, uh, the deification of the emperors. Uh, they were given the status and worship of a God. Uh, you read the history, it's, it's, it's very, very clear. 
But the later emperors, when they were alive itself, they demanded such kind of worship. So if you come to the reign of Domitian, uh, he ruled between 81 to 96, and he demanded that people will call him as our Lord and God. So these rulers, they demanded that. These kings, they demanded that you call us as Lord and God. Now, if Domitian was between 81 to 96, Revelation comes at that time. So the hearers of John were able to identify the beast with the Roman Empire. Uh, and in honor of these emperors, temples were built and people used to go and worship. Uh, there was no doubt about it. So when John is writing to the seven churches, uh, the people there, they knew the pressure under which they were living. They were persecuted because they cannot go and worship these gods. So they were struggling. And John is writing to the seven churches. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you see the history of Domitian, he was an emperor of Rome between 81 to 96. Um, he has been traditionally portrayed as a tyrant. They, his reign has been described as a reign of terror. And this book comes at, the at a time like this, when they were undergoing persecution. So if we have this uh, in our background, uh, we'll be able to identify the beast because it's important for us. There are two beasts. Uh, today, at least uh, today, we hope to finish about the first beast. So we are, it is the beast that was worshipped. Now, the background behind this is uh, the Nero was before Domitian, and he died. History says that he committed suicide on June 9, AD 68. Uh, and there were rumors that he was still alive and he was ready to take vengeance on the Roman aristocracy because the council of Nero, because he was such a horrible king, uh, he has murdered his own his wives, he had three wives, he murders his wives and he dies at the age of 30. He ruled for 13 years. So from, from the age of 17 to 30, he ruled and he let loose a reign of terror. And so the history says that after he died, uh, there was a rumor which circulated widely that Nero is, because he's a powerful man, he's still alive, he'll come back. He will come back. Uh, so uh, there were several people, like we call as imposters, they claimed that they, are ne they were Nero's not one or two, because the rumor was so strong, they claimed that they were the, they were the uh, you call what, born again, uh, Nero's. And in fact, one of the imposters, he went to the Parthians and he said, you come and attack Domitian. And, but of course, Parthian was able to uh, withstand that attack. And ultimately that imposter, who claimed to be Nero was killed. Uh, so whenever the Jewish traditions, they said Nero will return, the Christians were, uh, were so scared, they were terrified because they knew what kind of man Nero was. Uh, so, but John is not talking about a literal return of Nero. He didn't believe that Nero is going to come back, but he's using that image to convey the message uh, many scholars will say that you thought Nero was bad, wait till you see this. In other words, they say that <clears throat> if you thought that Nero was the worst man, you keep waiting, there'll be worse people than Nero. And history attests to that fact. Uh, if you talk about Hitler, you talk about Stalin, you talk about Mao, you talk about Pol Pot, you read their history, oh, the, the, the number of people they have killed. 
So neuro just pales into insignificance. So that's the kind of um, image Nero had. Uh, at least in Nero's time, thousands of Christians had been killed. Thousands. Thousands of believers had been killed under Nero's time. In fact, the Nero was so bad in Armenian language, um, <clears throat> Nero became... Uh, a term for antichrist, where in the Armenian language, if you say Nero, it denotes antichrist. Uh, many uh, scholars, they built on this kind of an image that Nero will come back. Uh, there are many scholars who have written books like that. So it is in this kind of traditions, uh, we are having Revelation chapter 3, 13. So let's see the first verse. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. If you remember the previous chapter, sea is very significant. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The dragon is standing on the shore of the sea. And then he saw John is seeing a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and on each had a blasphemous name. In the Old Testament, where do we see the beast coming out of the sea? In the Old Testament, where do we see the beast coming out of the sea? It is there in the book of uh, Daniel. Daniel 7.3 says, Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The Roman Empire itself, uh, it's considered as it's coming out of the sea. Uh, that's the kind of impression they had. And uh, the Domitian, as I told you earlier, that he demanded that he be considered as God. And he demanded worship, like, you know, you should call me as our Lord and God. And uh, anytime somebody calls themselves as God, uh, they're basically, they're slandering God. Anytime any human being claims that he is God, he's slandering the, the name of God, the glory of God. So when Domitian says, you should call me as our Lord and God, he's basically slandering the name of God. So I saw a beast coming out of the sea. I said sea is always significant uh, because uh, the, the general Jewish belief is the mythical serpent was thrown into the sea. Uh, you have this example in the New Testament when Jesus was casting out demons and the demon said, ask us to go into the pigs. And you read that the pigs, they, were, they, they just went and fell into that river. They drowned themselves into the river. So sea is generally considered as a place where the evil spirits, they reside. So sea is uh, very uh, important and in ex that is why the, the, the parting of the Red Sea is very important to say that God is powerful, more powerful than this, this, their, the understanding they had, the sea god, the Leviathan. Uh, we have seen the Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology. Our God, the creator God has power because he's the creator God. So he has power over the sea. Uh, we, we can see this in Psalm 74, 13, 14. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It's a symbolic way of saying that God has power. It was you who crushed the heads of the Leviathan and gave it as food. 
to the creatures of the desert. And you come to Psalm 89, 9 to 10, you rule over the surging sea. You rule over the surging sea. In other words, you rule over all authorities, all power. Uh, there is no power that is above God. So you rule over the surging sea. When it waves mount up, you still, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain, like Leviathan, Rahab, all the sea monsters. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. So now remember, it is with when our God is greater than the powers of the sea, this, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Now as children of God, it should not terrify us because we know God is more powerful than anything which comes out of the sea or in the sea. God is more powerful. Uh, so, we go to the next verse. The beast I saw res resembled a leopard, uh, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now, we have to be a little familiar with the Old Testament figure images to understand this. I said in the beginning itself, John was so well-versed with the Old Testament. He's using the symbols from the Old Testament and is presenting a Christocentric message to all of us. Now, if we, if we read uh, this kind of the four um, images, uh, that was there in the book of Daniel itself. And those dates itself, the fourth empire, uh, was we consider it as the Greek, the Alexander, the empire of Alexander. But in those days itself, uh, they interpreted to represent Rome. Rome. Uh, but uh, I'll just give the Daniel's description of these four uh, animals. See, four great bees, each different from the others, came out of the out of the sea. Now. Daniel is taking the description from, uh, John is taking the description from Daniel and he's explaining to us in one verse and see the way in which he describes. The first was like a lion. This is Daniel's description. And it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet uh, like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. Daniel is talking about a winged lion that becomes somewhat human. And John is using that figure, a mouth like that of a lion. Okay, we go to the next image. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So in Daniel, it talks about a devouring bear. Now, John is using this imagery to say, had feet like those of a bear. It's a devouring bear a winged lion that becomes somewhat human. So John is talking about this beast. It's, it's a very powerful figure. Let's go to the next verse. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. On its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. A winged leopard. Okay, here, uh, this beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And John is using the same thing. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The beast did not have power on its own, but the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and its great authority. Uh, then we go to the next one. 
After that, in my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. He's talking about a ten-horned beast. Uh, now, this is the kind of image. Uh, we have already seen the ten horns because we said the, uh, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horn. So the beast had ten horns. We had already seen that. And all these symbols, they come from the book of Daniel. And John has condensed everything into one verse. The so-called verse that we have, John has condensed everything. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. He's talking about a winged leopard. And he has, John has already said, this image is terrifying and frightening and very powerful. The beast, the image of beast, was very frightening and terrifying, and it had power. And we have already seen in 13.1, the dragon had given its power to the beast. And if this kind of beast is against the believers, you can imagine what you can expect from this beast. Beast is not a, it is not a sheep. It is not a lamb. It is a beast. And the beast, the, the kind of combination that John uses, uh, he's talking about a composite figure. He's talking about an oppressive evil, evoking the worst feelings his hearers would have toward Rome and all oppressive political powers. Uh, if you have watched that Mirbaya's case, and if you have to uh, describe those the perpetrators of that crime in symbolic language, probably you can use all those symbols. You know, it is, it's, it's beyond one's imagination, the kind, the extent to which they went. So John is presenting something like that, a composite of oppressive evil, and you know, the hearers, they know, oh my goodness, oh, we have to face this. It's going to be terrifying. It's frightening. And uh, if Nero could murder his own wife, he cut her veins and he put her in a hot, hot, hot bathtub and he killed her. And he sent her head to the next wife. If you see Nero's life history, every three years he has one new wife. And he killed his own wives. He killed Christians. And it was... He let loose a reign of terror, and, and, and the people were so terrified even to hear his name. And John is describing that evil in this kind of a composite uh, figure. And interestingly, when you read in the book of Daniel, after this, it's very interesting. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A fire of a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language 
worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I read all these verses uh, for our benefit because if we want this evil to end, then we should be the people who should be eagerly waiting for the second coming of Christ. This evil will come to an end only when Christ returns. Till such time, this evil will remain. So that's the reason we should be looking forward to the second coming of Christ. How important is the second coming of Christ? It is, a, it is a, the second coming of Christ, this beast will be destroyed and it will be thrown into the blazing fire. It is only at the second coming of Christ because till such time, this beast has power and it will keep persecuting the children of God. I hope uh, the things are clear for us to uh, at least understand. Instead of getting into the sensationalism, what is this beast, triple six, what does triple six means? Tomorrow somebody will say, this is triple six. Uh, so Bible is not about sensationalizing things. Bible is telling the reality, reality. The reality the believers faced in the first century and the reality the believers will face in the 21st century, the reality the believers will face till the second coming of Jesus. Uh, down to the history, they kept saying, this is triple six, this is triple six, this is triple six, and they all failed. But while it represents Nero, it also has eschatological implications. In other words, this message is relevant for today. For us, it is relevant. It is only at the second coming of Jesus, this persecution will come to an end against his children. Till such time, persecution will remain. So we go to the next verse. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Now, does the fatal wound signify anything? Christ dying for us, Pastor. Yeah, Christ died for us. So what's happening here? No, it's counterfeiting. Counterfeit. Yes, Pastor. Yeah, that's what we said. Satanic trinity, the dragon and the two beasts. And the dragon is projecting this beast in the image of Christ. In fact, it is presenting a kind of pseudo-resurrection here. Basically, as I told you, the devil has no originality. So the beast, one of the heads of the beast, seemed to have had a fatal wound. Devil knows. Devil tried to devour Christ, Jesus, and he couldn't. And he thought with his death on the cross, life is over, but Jesus rose again. He's a resurrected savior. So he also knows his days are numbered now. So he is projecting a counterfeit God to this world. Um, so that's where the Nero story comes. John is using that. As I told you earlier, though Nero was, he, he himself, uh, uh, he committed suicide in AD uh, 68. Uh, they, there, was a, there was a story, rumor going around, Nero is alive, he'll come back. So John is presenting, he's taking all those stories and he's presenting uh, the end time, end time, how it's going to happen, he's presenting that. Now, if some of us, we think, oh, triple six does not represent Nero. So John is also giving us clues why we say it is Nero and how do we, resolve, how do we solve this problem? Because when we, when we come to uh, the same chapter towards the end when we come, uh, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has inside calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, that number is triple six. We will come to this. 
but basically it's it's representing an evil emperor it's representing a man like nero uh, it is also representing you know the devil is going to use the human rulers to bring a lot of persecution against the believers in case if you are not able to resolve this puzzle here john gives us one more clue in revelation 17 9 to 11 this calls for a man with wisdom the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits they are also seven kings five have fallen one is the other has not yet come but when he does come he must remain for only a little while the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Uh, we will come to these uh, verses later, but basically John is talking about an emperor, an evil emperor. The beast is representing something evil, the composite of evil. Nero was a horrible man. Uh, John is not uh, expecting a literal return of Nero. He's just using the rumors that were circulating those days to present his side of the story. Now, when we say that Nero will come back, when John is something writing like that, John doesn't believe that Nero will, will come back. See, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we have a tradition uh, to believe this. When we say uh, it's the final Antichrist, or the tradition of Antichrist figures would be like Nero. It doesn't mean Nero will come back. It is just as John the Baptist was another Elijah. John the Baptist was not Elijah, but he was not, he was like Elijah. So, so same way, this final Antichrist or the series of Antichrists who have, you know, who have been in this world from time to time. Uh, it's not that Nero has come alive, they are like Nero. Any evil ruler can be said this man is like Nero. We can identify uh, Hitler, we can identify Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot. I'll come towards the end and I'll show you uh, how do we identify an evil empire? How do we do that? But it doesn't mean he's the final Antichrist. He's not the final Antichrist. So we have to keep this uh, in our mind. Uh, now, John is going, you know, basically is telling, the, he's contrasting the beast and the lamb. The beast and the lamb. Uh, he's just using all these stories as a background to explain to the people that there is, there is no match for our Lord, for our Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, John said this beast had 10 horns, but John had already presented the resurrected Savior with, with how many horns? We have already seen when he presented the resurrected Savior, he had said, he presented the resurrected savior with seven horns. Then I saw a lamp looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamp had seven horns and seven eyes. So John is basically contrasting the, these figures. So what's happening here? This is a counterfeit, the satanic trinity. And the counterfeit cannot match the true Trinitarian God. There's no match. There's no match. But he's presenting that war that will take place. The eschatological war, the final war, or the war that is going on right from the time of Christ's resurrection, from the time of first coming to the second coming, the events that will take place. So John is describing that warfare. So we go to the next verse. People worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? 
Now, any resemblance to the phrase, who is like the beast in the Old Testament? See, he has already mentioned, people worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast. They also worshiped the beast and asked who is like the beast. Basically, uh, what's happening here is in Exodus 15, 11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Now he's challenging. He's challenging the authority of God. Who is like the beast? Who is like the beast? Who can? And as I told you, the Domitian said, you should call me our Lord and God. What is he doing? He's challenging God. He's challenging and, and the same thing, the devil will always, always, he's in the business of challenging God. So he's saying, who is like the beast? And who can war, war wage against it? And John will go on to describe the king of kings. You know, there is no one like our God. The king of kings will defeat all these rulers because this who is like the beast is also going to be a human ruler. And we have already seen in chapter one, and even in uh, later we'll see that Christ is the king of kings. No king can stand before Christ. So we go to the next two verses, Revelation 13, five to six. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemes to exercise his authority to, for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Whenever the human rulers, how do we identify? I told you uh, it is not, see, no one knows the final antichrist. We will get to know the final antichrist only when Christ returns. So the devil, because he doesn't know when Christ will return. He has to keep producing antichrist. He has to keep producing because he doesn't know when Christ will come. When this war, final war will take place, Satan has no idea. So when we are talking about 42 months, it is not a literal 42 months. We have already I have explained and we have seen it is from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. I hope now the things are becoming clearer for us. That from the time of the resurrection, there is a war that is going on. There is a war. Devil is against God. And he will be... Uh, producing human rulers like like Nero, like Nero, powerful people. And one of their characteristics is they will utter proud words. They will say there is no, they will beat their chest and they will say there is no one like me. Can you see how powerful I am? Who is there to challenge me? They all represent Antichrist. But we will go wrong if we say he is the final Antichrist. Because the final Antichrist will be able to say only when Christ returns. Till such time we can say he is like an Antichrist. He is like Nero. And when Hitler was there, he was an Antichrist. When Pol Pot was there, he was an Antichrist. When Stalin, when Mao, all Antichrist. And today I don't want to name when people thump, when they beat their chest and they talk, we are so powerful. No force can stand before us. They're basically, they, this is what they're doing. They are, they, they are just representing the beast. Uh, so, because we have already, we have the advantage in Daniel 7, 8, it says, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns, horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Any ruler who speaks boastfully, saying that 
we can name several rulers in the 20th century as well as in 20th century. We have also seen their downfall. I don't want to name them. If you read the history, we can name one by one by one. This is the way he boasted, and this is how his end came. So there will be several antichrists. And the final antichrist, where at the second coming of Jesus alone, we'll be able to identify. Uh, even in Daniel 11, uh, 720, we, I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Any authority, any government, any ruler who speaks boastfully, arrogantly, he represents Antichrist. Uh, we have in uh, Daniel 11.36 also, the king will do as he pleases, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. These are the human rulers who will say, you, you, know, you need to worship me. You need to you know, bow before me. That's the kind of human, human rulers who represent Antichrist. Uh, but the good news is all their authority will come to an end because when the final war takes place, that's in Revelation 19.20, but the beast was captured. He was captured. Till such time, there will be several antichrists, several rulers, and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With, this sign, with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. An end. Evil will come to an end. The kingdom of God has already begun, uh, you know, but not yet come. Has come, but not yet come. So it will come. It will come on the day when the evil is completely destroyed. So we go to the next verse. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It was given authority. The beast has no authority of its own. It was given authority. You know, uh, it happened in the time of Nero. Uh, you know, Nero, if you read the life history of Nero or his rule, Nero burned Christians alive. He burned, I said, he committed suicide at the age of 30. This young, arrogant, violent man. He burned Christians alive to light his gardens at night. Can you imagine what kind of heart that was? And that is the kind of image. Uh, he's portraying the heart of Nero when he's talking about, you know, it's like a leopard, the feet like a bear, the teeth like a lion is, is portraying that kind of evil figure. And it is not only Nero, uh, Hitler killed 6 million Jews. Pol Pot eradicated 3 million people. Millions of people have been just put to death. But this is again a power. We, we, we don't know. We, none of us have a reason to say that, why did God allow gave this kind of power to this evil. Uh, we don't know. But only thing we know, all this will come to an end. And not only he burned Christians alive, he also crucified. And he also fed Christians to the wild beasts. This is what happened in the early Christianity. That is, I'm talking about in 60s. 60s, it happened. And evil is only increasing, it's not decreasing. And where before his failure, he blamed Christians and went about torturing them. And after that, there were many emperors who were more cruel than Nero. They were more cruel and uh, they killed people. 
Now, the beast has no power of its own. There is somebody who holds that supreme absolute power and God will bring it to an end. And if we want to find the answer to the question, why did God do this? We don't know. We don't know. We only know there's a good reason. Right now, we don't know. So we go to the next verse. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All means it's not all. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So he will have many followers because the evil is so much, people are scared, and uh, they, will, they will rather follow the beast than Christ. But only those whose name, names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, in the ancient days, the Romans controlled much of the world. So it is also talking that all inhabitants of the earth basically means the then known world. The Romans had a huge empire. So John is talking about all the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, it does not mean that the entire world, it does not mean that an empire will come which will be so powerful, it will rule over a big area or many nations will be under its rule. Uh, that's the kind of empire uh, it is portrayed in this place. Uh, God has permitted the world to stand together under a single evil empire to test his saints. The saints who come out of this, this uh, war, they will be uh, rewarded. Now, the evil empires, how do you identify the evil empires? The evil empires have a tendency uh, always to force conformity of people. They want one kind of people. They want one culture. They want one law for everybody. Uh, the law, and not, I'm not talking about the criminal laws, the civil laws. You will eat the same thing I eat. You will dress the way I dress. This, this is all, uh, these are all the characteristics. Uh, if you are not for us, then you don't belong to this place. Uh, th these are all characteristics of an evil emperor. Uh, so when you read history, uh, you, can, you can discern the pattern. I said it is not the only antichrist, there are several antichrists. The final antichrist, no one can say he is the final antichrist till the return of Christ. It's only at the return, uh, the second coming of Jesus, we will be able to say that, oh my goodness, he is the antichrist. He is the antichrist. Till such time, it's only we'll imagine. So in Daniel 3, 4 to 6, then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language this is what you are commanded to do. You see, nations and peoples of every language is imposing his rules on everyone. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flutes, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. These are all characteristics of an antichrist. All these are characteristics, forcing people. But in the kingdom of God, it is not uniformity. There is unity, but not uniformity. In the kingdom of God, it will be like this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every nation, tribe, language, and la people, and language. I'm sad to say that many of the church they also impose that kind of uniformity. Uh, it may be on a smaller scale. The rulers, they impose it on a larger scale. 
your church loses its its very identity when you start imposing only people of this caste people of this language people of this region are welcome it is not a church a church is a place uh, where people from every nation tribe and language can come and worship together it's important for the uh, pastors and the church leaders to recognize this we may have a big church having just one ethnic group or supporting one particular language group but that's not a real church you can have different services for in different languages but anytime a church shows preference to one particular language or one particular ethnic group we are deviating from the bible because in heaven it is all about people from every nation tribe people and language we need to be careful so john is saying whoever has ears let them hear and in 1310 he says if anyone is go is to go into captivity into captivity they'll go if anyone is to be killed with the sword with the sword they'll be killed this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of god's people god's people are called to exercise patient endurance and faithfulness we are not here to take a sword because jesus christ told peter oh peter you put your sword away so that that's the same thing that applies for all of us uh, john is quoting jeremiah 15:2 and if they ask he's talking about the israelites uh, who will go into that captivity those destined for death to death those for the sword to the sword those for starvation to starvation and those for captivity to captivity and john is using this to say that those who persecute the believers that will be their end like nero he he committed suicide if you see any of these rulers uh, if you see their death it's a very painful death uh, so john is telling those destined for death to death those for the sword to the sword and even in 4311 he will come and attack egypt bringing death to those destined for death captivity to those destined for captivity and the sword to those uh, destined for the sword now people who are not destined for eternal life will end their lives something like this and it is not for the christians to take the sword and kill others not at all not at all uh, that's why we have the inquisition war and where christians have put many jews people to death and that's not biblical that's not at all biblical it's all misinterpreting the verse the the, the bible calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of god's people so how do we complete the, these verses let me sum up the beast of revelation 13 is both actual historical rome and the future eschatological antichrist it is both actual historical rome it it talks about nero and the future emperors but it is also talking about the future eschatological antichrist and as i told you earlier we will be able to identify the antichrist only when jesus returns till such time there will be several antichrists not one several down through the history from the first coming of christ till now there have been several antichrists who have persecuted christians who have you know were put people to death innocent people to death so we we have that, that's why in thessalonians it will say the spirit of lawlessness uh, that will continue in the world so so long as that lawlessness continues we will experience many antichrists many antichrists like antichrists so the world worships not merely the gods you know they are not only worshiping the beast they are also worshiping the dragon that stands behind them and it is also a wake up call for us why because 
if we don't, if our allegiance is not to one, only one God, unknowingly we have idols in our heart. If we do not worship God alone, we participate in the worship of what the world values. The world values money, the world values power, the world values fame, the world uh, values sex, the world values attraction. Uh, so whatever the world values, if we don't worship God alone, knowingly or unknowingly, we will be worshiping the dragon that stands by the side of the beast. That is why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, that is, we, every culture has idols. It is not just a graven image that, or a photograph or a um, statue that we have. It is all about the idols in our hearts. So if we don't worship God alone, we participate in the worship of what the world values. Our job can become our identity, our designation can become our education, our family, and from so-and-so family. So we have to be careful. So I have completed. If you have any questions, you can ask. I hope uh, we will not um, struggle with triple six when we come to triple six. I think the, uh, It's clear. Uh, so we are looking at an evil ruler or antichrist is not just one antichrist. There have been several antichrists. The final antichrist we will identify only Christ. <laughs> so can I add something, Basra? Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Uh, you know, it's very important for us uh, not, not to fear this uh, this uh, news that goes around, you know, saying this is triple six about this, about that. Uh, as Pastor said, Christ will come and finally the, the dragon will decide who is going to be this Antichrist and uh, the final Antichrist will come. So until then, we don't have to fear. We have to fear God and never fear these things. When we fear God, definitely these things will never fear bring fear to our hearts. In fact, uh, we will be bold to face it. It is a boldness that given by God, the Holy Spirit. So the more we get closer to God, love God, and want to stand for God, uh, these things will never frighten us. Any questions, doubts? I hope it's clear. Because uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 is very important for us. Uh, so we are, because we will not be carried away uh, by these uh, images. Uh, somebody says this is triple six. Uh, they can write a very uh, interesting book. Uh, this is what, I, as I told you, 1988, why 88 reasons why God will return. And then when Jesus Christ did not return, then in 89, I made a calculation error of uh, you know, one year. So why Jesus Christ will return in 89? And after that, there were no supplements. So we don't have to fall into speculation. Evil empires will be there to persecute God's children. And I've also given you certain characteristics of evil empire. Uh, we can always make out. And it's very clear what's happening in the world. If you read Revelation, you will see how relevant how um, applicable it's for us today in the 21st century. That's the beauty of the word of God. Though it was written to the first century readers, it is applicable and it is alive. Many of the things that you read and you watch and hear what's happening, you can say resembles Antichrist. Resembles Antichrist. But final Antichrist when Christ returns. Okay, if there are no questions, we'll just say this prayer. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, 
and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Glorious Father, this is our desire. We pray, Lord, you will come. Come, Lord, come. And Lord, you, you reign over this world, O oh Lord. Above Father, as we go through persecution, as we face evil, I pray you will bless each one of your children, the strength, the grace, the wisdom to endure persecution. And Lord, we pray you will give us that strength. Spirit of God, I pray today, Lord, you will strengthen us. Strengthen us physically, mentally, spiritually. You will strengthen us so that we will live for you and glorify your name. Bless each and everyone who have attended the Bible study. You know their hearts, cries, their burdens. We pray, Lord, you will answer your children. You are an almighty God. There is none like you. We bow before you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.